This is episode 155 with Stephanie Gilmore. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on your impactful journey. Legends, I trust you're well and thriving in life. And I know there's some new listeners to the show because I've been getting feedback of gratitude that you've recently discovered this podcast and how much value it's giving you. So I want to say welcome. Welcome to the journey. And please continue reaching out via email or social media and letting me know what value you're taking from the podcast because it allows me to continue delivering more of that value that I know you guys are hungry for. And that goes for all you legendary long-time listeners too. I love seeing the social media posts of people sharing episodes of value and tagging me and the guests in that and also the private messages and emails that I get. That's why I do what I do, to help the ripple effect of impact and inspiration flow deep. So keep it coming. And That's why I'm proud to bring Stephanie Gilmore onto the show, to give a different perspective and more inspiration to you to help make empowering impact in your own life. Stephanie Gilmore is an Australian professional surfer and seven-time world champion on the Women's ASP World Tour. She won her first world title as a rookie, followed by three consecutive world titles. That's an accomplishment that no other surfer has achieved in the history of men's or women's surfing. For her triumphs of this success, she's also been awarded both the Laureus World Sports Award in 2010, which is considered the most prestigious award in action sports worldwide. And she's won the ESPN and ESPY for Best Female Action Sports Athlete in 2011 and 2013. Now, as with most professional athletes that I have on this show, I don't talk to Steph much about her actual surfing. I dive deep into understanding who Steph is and how she navigates life from her unapologetically authentic approach to her personal life and professional career. In this episode, we discuss the power and importance of living your true authentic self, the challenges for females in male-dominated industries, and the struggle of trying to prove oneself as opposed to showing up authentically. How Steph's scariest and darkest moments become became one of her greatest assets. We talk about how to transform your mindset into optimism and belief, what it means to compete and win from a place of love, the important factors in the recipe for focus and success, and we discuss much more about the challenges and the beauty of life. So now let's hear from the legend herself, Stephanie Gilmore. Steph, people see the the Steph Gilmore that gets results in the surf or out there surfing and see Mm. you celebrating the wins, but I want to know a bit more about 
the version of you that you live and from your perspective. So I want to start mm-hmm. with who is Steph Gilmore? <laughs> yeah, who is Stephanie Gilmore? It's um, Steph Gilmore, Stephanie Gilmore. I actually don't even have a nickname, to be honest. Um, That's rare in Australia. Yeah, people – well – I feel like my first few world titles and because I'm Australian and everyone has to have a nickname in Australia. So everyone was like, all right, Happy Gilmore, that works because she's always <laughs> smiling and and uh, so we'll just call her Happy Gilmore. But I never really associated with that. But at the same time, I am pretty much happy 99.9% of the time. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I as a professional athlete, and because you sort of live and breathe what you do, you definitely tend to define a lot of who you are by what you do. And, and it can be hard to kind of detach from that, you know, and when people ask, who are you and, and what are you if, if you're not a surfer or a professional athlete? And that's always a a big question, I think for a lot of athletes, but, um, I don't know. I've always felt really comfortable in my own skin and, and always thought that, you know, if I wasn't winning titles or, um, you know, if I wasn't a professional athlete, I'd sort of find my way in another way and I'd be comfortable and excited and passionate about it no matter what it was. But, um, but yeah, who am I? I think I'm just, you know, a pretty relaxed, you know, human being just on this earth, like another ball of energy like we all are. And, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. That's such a hard question, but... That I, I was going to say one of the first defining things that I was sort of taught in my career was, you know, that surfing is something that I do, but it's not who I am. Brilliant. And, I've, you know, I'm sure you've heard that line before a million times, but it, it really is something that has helped me to kind of, yeah, figure out like, yeah, surfing is just something I do, but what are the things that I'm really passionate about? And, and um, you know, you can dive wholeheartedly into things, but if they don't succeed or whatever, it's not the end of the world. You know, you're made up of so many different things. So, How important do you think it is that people in general, whether they're athletes or not, and actually I'm probably talking more about not athletes, how important do you think it is that we all know who we are? Mm. I think people put too much pressure on it. You know, I think a lot of people that are sort of, they have the anxieties and... um, the stress and a lot of stuff is built up pressure is just built up around figuring out who you are and you have to explain to people who you are and what you do and what your purpose is and and you know I find that stressful too and and I feel like I know my my purpose in life and it's it's sort of um I think that it's okay to kind of let it organically go in its different ways. It doesn't have to be that one set path that you had in your head because life takes different routes all the time. Um, I think, yeah, it's about being comfortable and passionate in that moment with whatever it is at that time that you want to be and, and what you're excited about and, and be open to knowing that things can change and you can adapt. Like we're amazing at adapting. Um, and there's, you know, there's no real, I just think it's, it's hard because yeah, there's a lot of pressure on all of us to kind of be put, put a label on ourselves, but I don't think that the world should be like that at all. So what about then on the flip of about the, the importance of showing up as your true self? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's, that's the key, authenticity. And that's something that people have always said to me, like, oh, you seem so, um, 
comfortable in a role of being, a, you know, a world champion or a role model or a leader in a sport. And I've always just answered that by saying that I find it easy because I'm just being true to who I am. Like when you meet me and hang out with me, I'm giving you pretty much everything that I am and in the most honest form. And I think that people just resonate with, you know, genuine emotions and and interactions with people. And it's uh, I've found that a lot of people that I interact with on a day-to-day basis, they get so much more out of that than maybe even meeting someone who's won a record number of titles or whatever that they might meet someone who's only won one world title but if that person left them with a genuine sense of like empowerment or just a smile or something i think that you find there that's more valuable to to a lot of people so So do you think that you find it easy to show up because you don't have to think about or who am i in front of this sponsor who am i in front of these kids Mm -hmm. who am i when i'm not winning who am i when i'm winning Mm -hmm. because you're always just showing up as your genuine authentic self exactly yeah of course it's important to know that um it's okay to want to show up in the very best version of yourself and that can be nerve-wracking at times because you're like am i being the best version of myself have i put in all the work have i prepared myself in the best way possible to show up in the best version of myself and i think that that's good because it does push you to to strive to be better um but if the main uh you know philosophy behind everything that you do is that it's coming from a solid place um yeah that's genuine and authentic then then people really resonate with that and and also it just gives i mean it gives me confidence that no matter what place I'm in, no, no matter who I'm talking to and no matter, you know, what we're talking about, I, I know that I can kind of hold my ground and, and just be confident with who I am. And confidence really is so attractive to so many people. And I think it it not only makes you feel better in a situation, but I think it makes other people feel like, oh, okay, I can be myself too because he or she is so completely confident in who they are that it's it's letting the energy in the room sort of lift to a new level and and brings out the best in everyone. I've coached a lot of female athletes and now I work a lot with a lot of female leaders, so leaders in their business or leaders entrepreneurs or leaders as leaders and managers in other organisations. And one thing that I've been exposed to is that a lot of female leaders in male-dominated industries mm-hmm struggle to show up as themselves and they find it exhausting in those areas to know how to show up as their true selves because they feel like they've got to come from that place of proving themselves mm-hmm. almost some sometimes from insignificance but almost proving their worth mm-hmm. in that sense and i don't know i'm a naive country kid but i cannot fucking believe that that still exists in our day and age mm-hmm. that that's that's the case but i wanted to ask you have you ever been have you ever felt that in not that surfing is a male dominated sport but it is uh it is a male dominated sport well it has been forever yeah so have you experienced that that challenge to continually show up in in that regard and not necessarily you know from other male surfers but maybe from sponsors maybe from other tv interviews Mm. maybe from the locals and communities where you go to um, I think that a lot of, yeah, I mean, surfing for sure has been a male-dominated industry for a long time and, and I think I've been in a lucky position where, and I've sort of 
been on tour through a few different generations now where I've been able to see that shift in um, that feeling of like we deserve to be here just as much as you and we don't need to prove it. You know, why do we need to justify our existence here on this platform? Like we're not out here to, to take anything from the men where if anything we're learning from you and we're respecting you so it should be just a mutual um, relationship in that sense but yeah I, I mean I was really lucky that I think timing for me coming into my career I witnessed a lot of the older generations of the women in the you know 70s and 80s and 90s early 2000s where yeah they were struggling to that they I felt like they they, yeah, exactly. They needed to prove something to them. And, and in a way, they thought they needed to be really masculine to kind of show the men like, hey, I can do this too. And I think for them, they had to sacrifice a lot of who they were because they were like, I deserve this. And, and you know, yeah, it's sort of, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm just saying because I feel so lucky that I've been able to reap the rewards of their hard work and a lot of the the shit that they had to deal with to get the sport to where it is today and then from our point of view like when I my generation came along and it was sort of like okay now that we've gained a lot more respect from the guys and they've sort of realized that we're not out here to take their prize money or anything like that um it was yeah it was a more encouraging and just a more welcoming feeling even just at day-to-day events and um you know the guys were stoked to see us improve and then you know that allowed us to make more steps of like okay maybe we can get equal prize money maybe we can get uh, better conditions at events and grow the sport as a whole and i think that yeah for sure women every day still in the workplace are sort of sacrificing um their authenticity because they feel the need to maybe be uh, overtly sexual to sort of use that as an advantage or whatever it is. And um, me personally, I've never really felt like that. I've always had this sense that I can make my surfing do the talking and, you know, I can kind of lead by actions or examples. And um, I think my parents instilled that in me for sure. Just like, you know, we weren't, mum and dad are just so relaxed and they're still so chill but they were never you know showering us in in the words of like we love you and like lots of hugging and all that sort of stuff it was more like okay we're going to show our love because we're going to drive you to the beach every afternoon we're going to drive you to hockey and we're going to take you to soccer and we we want to see you guys get out there and lead a healthy amazing life and I think that, um, yeah, that sort of came into my world um, as I got older where I just realized that, yeah, you can just lead by example. I don't have to really talk the talk, but, um, yeah, just... Your I've, actions are the proof of exactly. how you operate. Mm. And I think that's really powerful to hear that because that's what I see the challenge with a lot of, like I said, females in male-dominated industries. Mm-hmm. And I, As you were talking about this, I was thinking, isn't it crazy that we even have to have this conversation, mm-hmm. that it's still a thing that actually exists when we talk about equality? As soon as you said that mm-hmm. equal pay, I was thinking, oh, right, I, my assumption was that there's equal pay. Yeah. <laughs> no, and that's, I mean, surfing, which is funny because surfing is like always been the rebellious sport. You know, it's mm-hmm. hard to even call it a sport. And here we are in 2020 and we're still having these conversations and surfing is now uh, the 
first and only US-based sport in the world that has equal prize pay um, across all the disciplines. So tennis actually has it uh, just at Grand Slam level. Mm. It doesn't have it in the lower levels, whereas surfing has gone out and we've said, okay, we're going to do it at CT, longboard, big wave, uh, juniors, and all the events that they control, they're going to do it that way. And and just to really show that they – yeah, they value the athletes. They value the platform. And, you know, the great thing about sport is that our prize money is public knowledge. So unlike the workplace where everyone is, you know, no one knows what salary each other is on. It's all hush-hush. Um, yeah, in sport, it's like, okay, we stand on stage, the, the female and the male stand next to each other with a big check and everyone sees what you make. So mm. sport is actually a, a wonderful place to lead by example to say that, hey – you know, quality should be normal. We shouldn't even be having these conversations anymore in 2020. So, um, yeah. That's brilliant. You mentioned there before about some of the role models that you saw coming through in the 70s, 80s, 90s and early 2000s and the way that they had to try and prove themselves and kind of step into that masculine energy as opposed to bringing their natural feminine with the masculine that is natural as well. I had Lane Beachley on the podcast a while ago and she talked a lot about how she won most of her world titles from a place of fear, a place of dominance, a place of I don't give a shit about all the uh, relationships that I'm destroying and this is what I want and this is how I'm going to get it and coming at it in that regard and then after working through a lot of injuries and then coming back and when she won her worst uh, last world title, she had a completely different paradigm shift of how she saw her life and her opportunity and she said that she actually fell in love with the sport and then won that world title from a place of love Mm -hmm. and we had the conversation around do you think that you could have won them all from that place and she said well actually the proof that you can is with Steph Gilmore who has won all of hers from that place of love in that way (laughs) yeah she's she's not wrong there um and it's funny, I, I, I do find it interesting, like when I look back on my career and a lot of athletes that I, you know, really admire um, and just the stories of triumph that you read from different athletes around the world. Yeah, they've always had to really overcome something and fight for something and um, and I've never really been able to associate with that because, yeah, just from the very beginning, you know, I, I finished high school and when all of my friends were sitting around trying to decide what they were going to study at university, I just knew what I was going to do. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go on tour and be the best. Like that's all I wanted to do. And it just came from such a place of fun and joy. And it was, um, yeah, I didn't even have to question it because I guess when you really love something and you're really passionate about it, you find a way to succeed. And, um, yeah, and I think even in my personality, like I'm pretty happy and relaxed and I care, genuinely care about all the, the girls on tour and when we're competing. Um, I almost, I mean, I, I do a lot of work with Nam actually about sort of switching into a gear that it's almost like acting for me. Like I have to draw it out of myself, that desire where, I ha- you know, I want to kill my opponent because it's not naturally in me to have that. And um but yeah, Lane was right. I would say probably all six world titles were all coming from a place of love. And then the one, there was one world title where I had to really overcome something that kind of, you know, gave me that 
extra drive where yet yeah i had to dig deeper and that's when i realized and understood more about what athletes talk about when they say that you really underestimate how like the magic and and how much you can overcome something when you sort of push to a, a new height or you know you're down in the dark depths and you're like how do I get out of this and and you find a way you will and that's really the most rewarding wins that that you get in your career and is that referring to the the world titles that we won before you were attacked no so um sorry yes so the I went on tour like finished high school qualified for the world tour went straight on tour and just won like my first year as a rookie um I always thought it was funny that people um got on tour and thought oh I really want to aim for the top 10 I really would love to be in the top five by the end of the year and I was always just like why why aim for top 10 or five like why not just go for number one that (laughs) seems so silly to me to sort of set a low standard for yourself when everything you do is about setting a, a high bar and anyway um so I was able to win straight off the bat and, and follow that up uh, with four straight off the bat. And when people were saying, like, which one was better, the first one or the second, third, fourth? And and I couldn't really answer because I didn't I hadn't lost yet. So I didn't really know. And, and I remember thinking, like, oh, I wonder if this will ever, you know, can you just keep going up and up and up? Like, does this plateau at any point? And, uh, and that was cool because I was wondering about, like, yeah, I wonder if you could have an entire career where you just win everything and then you just tap out and that's it. But that'd be pretty boring too. So be careful what you wish for sometimes because after the fourth uh, world title, um, yeah, that's when I had an assault outside of my ha- my home in, in uh, Coolangatta and, yeah, it was a pretty traumatic experience. And, um, yeah, that was the first time in my life that, you know, I was – just rattled like completely rocked and i actually happened there do you mind yeah um so i was just like you know it was sort of early evening and i was coming home from somewhere and and yeah i was just walking into my apartment and this this guy was um i'd noticed him like i just had a bad instinctual feeling and it was sort of you know you just know when something's not right and he didn't feel right and he kind of looked at me and it was a strange moment um, and I just sort of walked past him and didn't even, you know, tried to ignore it and then I just turned around and next minute he was just sprinting at me with like a crowbar and, yeah, kind of hit me over the head a couple of times and, I mean, the crazy part was he didn't even, um, you know, he didn't try and rob me or anything. It was, I think it was just that he must have been on a drug of some kind and, and I'd set off a reaction in him that maybe I was out to harm him or something. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was funny when it happened, you know, I just sort of screamed and, and had this blood all over me and, and all I could think of was like, whoa, I can't believe I reacted so bad. Like, where was my ninja skills? Like, how come I didn't, you know, how come I wasn't able to fight? Or, you know, there was some dark thoughts in my mind, like, shit how fast can I run to get away from this guy and it's, it's amazing how much goes through your head in such a short amount of time but um but yeah I was out of the water I had a, a broken wrist and I was out of the water for it was around like a month and a half and it was the biggest thing that I lost was my confidence you know for the first time in my life I didn't have that 
yeah, that bright spark of like, oh yeah, I can pal out and win this comp, no problems. Mm. And that was the biggest test for me. So I was like, oh, it's not there naturally anymore. I have to like go into my, you know, my filing cabinet of my body and, and find in my emotions where that, where, where did I store that? How do I find that again? And I'd say it took me a good 12 months to really find that again. And that was the first year after the, the attack. So 2011, um, that was the first year that I didn't win the world title. And I was pissed off because I was like, I didn't even lose it because of uh, like a injury that I gave myself. It was from like an outside um, incident. So that, yeah, it just kind of pissed me off. But if anything, it was just amazing to sort of learn that in life, you know, shit happens to people all the time. Every single day, horrible things happen to people and it just builds the most incredible resilience and you grow and learn and and you can't change what happened in the past. You know, you can sit there and dwell on it and think about it and, and it's okay to do that, to process it and then write down how you feel and all that sort of stuff is great, but you can't go back and change it. So what you can do is make a decision. You get to decide how you want to feel about it moving forward you get to decide like yeah which route you want to take to to get over it and to move forward so it was an incredible an incredible learning experience and then it was 2012 I came back and won another world title so for a good 12 months I was just like oh man I'm not going to win the title again like it's all over there's all the press was talking about Carissa Moore and all the new young girls that were coming through and that was so much better than me. And there was a lot of doubt creeping in and I just thought, yeah, shit, maybe that's it. Like I won my four and, and that's the end of it. Um, but it, that was when I made that decision to use those sort of remarks as fuel to the fire. And that's when I was like, no way, I'm not done. Are you kidding? I'm so young. I'm so excited. And this is just one of the life's challenges that I get this amazing opportunity now to figure out who I am and what kind of resilience I've built and how far I can take it. What so. was the path that you did through that? Did you have professional support with psychologists? Did you have other coaches? Was it, Did you figure it out on your own? Um, I think for the most part, I, so I did one counselling session and the counsellor sort of said, oh, you seem pretty good. <laughs> Like, I think you're fine. Um, yeah, I think a lot of it was just my own sense of, uh, you know, one of the first things I thought after it happened was, man, I'm so glad it was me and not some old lady who lived in the building. I'm so glad it was me and not like my friend who I just imagined them trying to deal with it and not being able to get over it as well as I could. You know, I just kind of had this sense that I'm much stronger than a lot of other people in this situation. So, yeah, it was, I think, in that sense and sort of explaining that to the counsellors and just my friends and family and stuff, it it seemed like it was probably, I got over it pretty quick. But it was still like, you know, walking around corners at night and sort of, checking like sleeping with the lights on and sort of you know being pretty jumpy and 
But what in made you believe what you just said before? Because I always say it's not about what happens in our life, it's how we choose to respond. Yeah. And you said that you can utilise that situation to define you and hold you back or mm. to make you stronger. What made you actually... Because it's one thing to know these things and to say these things, but if we don't believe it, we don't mm. act in alignment with it. What made you yeah. believe that and act from that place? Uh, I... I don't know. I really just, it was something as simple as the fact that, yeah, like I, I could still wake up in the morning, breathe, look around, everything. Yes, I was, you know, physically you heal and I knew that. It was just a matter of healing my mind and that is decision making at the end of the day. And so it was, yeah, I just had this firm belief that, um, hey, I can still walk and talk and feel and that is the most important thing. So, um, yeah, I don't Sounds know. Sounds like it you just, were just focusing on what you could control as exactly. opposed to focusing on what you can't control. So exactly. even without that knowledge and that support and everything, mm -hmm. the part of the decision-making that we get as well is not the actions that we take but what we focus on and what we yep. think about the situation, the meaning that we give to it. Yep. So the meaning you could have given to it is poor me, I'm a victim, I'll never win a world title again because mm -hmm. I got attacked. Yeah. Or you look at it and say, this sucks, but I'm grateful for everything that I have yep. and what an opportunity now for me to find the yep. the fighting dog within me and come back to victory in a different way. Yeah, it was probably a really annoyingly optimistic way to look at a you know, shitty situation. Well, it's the opposite but to look at something annoyingly optimistic. Annoyingly pessimistic. Yeah, pessimistic, exactly. <laughs> so the choice that you made is, yes. it's, you know, one and or also, the other, like you said. I'd say talking about it a lot. Like I'd say I was um, just processing it by, I wasn't afraid to talk about it. Mm. You know, and, and I, I competed the full next season, but of course leading into every event, it was like the hottest question. Mm. And, you know, it was always like the... Uh, the tears were coming up and it was like reliving the moment every time but it was also quite therapeutic and I'd made that decision myself where I was like okay I'm probably going to get asked this question every single time so what are you going to do are you going to shut it down and shy away and there were times that I probably would have done that but I decided to say yeah I'm just going to talk about it because maybe someone else might learn that in these situations that have happened yeah you can't change what happened but you can focus on what you can control and these are the you know right here in this body i can control this so that's the best way to move forward and and maybe by yeah spending a lot of time talking about it i'll not only heal myself but i'll help someone else in their situation Do you which is at the end of the day what we're all here for is to kind of contribute to to uh other human beings and help them you know, just giving back to the community in that sense. Do you believe that maybe that's why the attack happened for you? Mm. Well, it's, yeah, it's, I'd say like two weeks before it happened, I walked into this bookshop and uh, this woman said to me, oh, when are you going to write a book? And I said, um, I don't know, my story's so boring. Like, oh, I went to school, finished school and just won a world title and won another one, won another one and won another one. Like how boring. And then, uh, you know, I, I swear I said something like, there's not enough drama. And then this happened. And I was like, whoa. I mean, that really solidified my belief in manifesting mm. things. 
um, good and bad, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it just it just really made me um, yeah appreciate the support that I've you know had around me, but but yeah, also just the fact that you can go through some really wild experiences in your life and it's okay you can you know if you survive and you you can come at which you can survive it's amazing actually nam told me to read a really good book it's called the survivors club mm. and it's incredible to learn about people that have like fallen from airplanes and survived mm. <laughs> um yeah and, and it really just made me appreciate how resi- resilient we are as human beings if you're willing to make that decision to make those conscious sort of um optimistic decisions and you mentioned there before that so the four world titles then you had to come back from that and really mm-hmm. fight for it which is five and six mm-hmm. and before we discussed that you were saying that the first six were a certain win what was so well i was sort of saying like the um four and then six and seven we're all coming from that place of love. And the fifth one was the most valuable because I had, you know, I'd, it was taken away from me for that one year and I had to really dig deep mm. to really believe in myself and and really come from a place that I admired so many other people that had come from, you know, to win in certain situations in their life. And, um, and so I finally understood that. And I'd say the fifth one was the most valuable because of that reason. But in saying that, you know, joy and love and fun, that's always been, I've found that my greatest success has been when I'm out in the lineup laughing and, and you know, of course being serious, but um, yeah, there's a real sense of joy in what I do. And it's, I think, uh, you know, life. it's just funny to think that number one, I get paid to surf and like it's a competition and you know I think perspective is just key for so many things in life and um that's always something that I've kept with me no matter what I'm doing and yeah you've mentioned Nam a couple of times and Nam is the reason we've been connected I've been introduced through Nam and it was a few years ago actually the first session when I met you down here and we're doing some stuff in with the tennis balls and the floss bands (laughs) so I want to know from you why do you choose to invest your time and energy into training with NAM? What is it mm. that you get out of it personally and professionally that makes you continue to show up? Um, so in the start of my career, I worked with a woman, uh, Jan Carton, who she helped Mick recover from his hamstring injury. And, and she was an incredible um you know, she, actually, when I think back to my time working with Jan, a lot of the time, you know, when everyone else was sort of in the gym working physically on their body, her and I would spend, I don't know, two hours just talking in a room, like writing and talking. And and for me, it was like the most exciting thing that I started to learn about sports psychology and, and learning about how your, you know, what peace of mind that you have when you're competing is almost more important than how you are physically because maybe there was some other girls who I was competing against at the time in the gym at doing you know a bunch of sit-ups at the same time that I was writing down how I was feeling at that moment and how I want to achieve things and my goals and all this sort of stuff and then we'd both show up at the next event and I'd win it 
so you know just coming from such a place of joy and the other girl was sort of f- always fighting something and it, um, you could see that they were just missing a connection of some kind and that working with Jen it really opened my mind to yeah just how you approach things and how you're thinking of them and reading and ob- you know observing situations and um, anyway and and then as time went on throughout my career I, I did some uh, breath training with Nam in the pool and I met him um, through a couple of other surfers Dan Ross and a few guys who were working with him doing the breath hold stuff and yeah and Nam just you know you meet him and he just has such a pleasant aura like he he's so um, his energy is so calm but you can tell that he he's just learning he's always learning himself and I think that's the thing that I really admire about say someone like Kelly Slater Yes, he's won the most world titles, but you can tell he's so joyful and, and youthful in that sense that he wants to learn. He's never reached, you know, there's, he hasn't set this limit. It's like, come at me. I want to learn more, more, more. And I really think that that's what keeps people going and, and striving and continuing on with success. And when I met Nam and working with him, it was the same thing. You know, you'd come into the gym and I've never really been a gym person, to be honest. Like I literally could say I probably went to the gym five times like in my first five world titles <laughs> but coming to realize like working with with uh, Nam is that it, it can be really fun and when you know that you are you know you're seeing the progress in your strength and in your movement and and all that sort of stuff and when it's presented to you in a fun game kind of way it goes fast and it's just yeah it's fun and I think people um as professional athletes, it can be seen like, oh, that looks really intense all the time. But it's not at all. Like it, And Nam's really sort of shown me that. And um, But then he's also just introduced me to so many new techniques as well where, um, you know, you're approaching situations with a different perspective and, and you can really turn around. You know, you can create your own luck. You can um, find ways to win that, you know, you weren't really aware of before. So... But at the end of the day, he's just, he's just chill. He's so nice to be around, and I think that's that's key. Except when he's pegging tennis balls at your head. <laughs> that that's, that's not that the fun. fun part, right? <laughs> exactly. Sounds like it's the fun. It's the variety. There's obviously mm-hmm. known benefits for you yep. personally and professionally that all come with that and show up. And that's mm-hmm. I've heard other athletes talk about it too. It's like you show up not knowing what's going to happen yep. in the time. You know you're going to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, with that sense of fulfillment mm-hmm. that you've had that enjoyment and worked on something that's going to help you in your profession. Exactly. He's constantly testing you from the moment you walk into the room. You know, he's assessing, okay, what sort of energy level uh, is he or she at and and how am I going to push, push her today? Um, maybe I'll ask her a bunch of questions that might throw her off. Um, you know, maybe I'll talk about her opponent and say like, you know, Maybe I saw, you know, Steph's biggest rival do something amazing today. And, and you can just tell that he's constantly thinking of ways to test your mind and your physical body um, that are always, yeah, it's innovative and it's it's just fresh and you just don't know what you're going to get, basically, <laughs> which that is the key to wanting more and wanting to come back, for me anyway. And I think that sort of goes back into surfing where – the ocean presents something new every single day and we're very lucky that in our sport 
it's like the soccer field changes every single time you play and mm. there's a new challenge and uh, that's unique for Variabilities. sport. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bitch, but it's also amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the, the bitch that makes you keep coming back. Well, from yeah, more it's, and more it's and something more. that you can kind of blame your losses for sometimes. <laughs> yeah, the waves didn't come. wasn't my problem. <laughs> I mean, it was my problem. It wasn't my fault. But yeah. So speaking of then the, the variability, the waves, the things that you've learned from Nam. I've got, um, and being very mindful of time, you're about to go downstairs and do a session oh, yeah. with No, Nam that's all right. Take gym. your time. The longer the better. <laughs> I'm going to send you down there ready for those tennis balls flying at yeah. your head and hear him talk about your opponents and any other <laughs> challenge that comes out. What a um, bit of an analogy then. So trying to understand the mind aspect again. When you say in a situation, if you are in a world title final and you're out the back and you know you've got one wave to catch and you might need an eight or a nine Mm -hmm. and you need that on the next wave and you know it when you're out there Mm. and this is to win the world title what goes through your mind yeah (laughs) um well less is more is usually the best to have going through your mind (laughs) um i i've actually worked really closely with um with another guy ben crow um to sort of come up with some different types of uh just i guess you could call them equations that um help you to really focus on execution and that's it because that's really all you can control is what you're about to execute and so um yeah in that kind of a moment for me a lot of the time i'm i'm sort of I'm aware of my surroundings in a way that is bringing me a peacefulness. You know, I'm sort of looking at, you know, say the the ocean. I'm feeling the water on my skin. I'm noticing like the bubbles in the water. I'm noticing the birds in the air, the sunshine. Like simple things that sort of bring me back to the present moment to, to take away from like, oh, the nine, the this, the that. Um, something else I'll shift to maybe is like, uh, I guess all of these things are optimistic sort of situations you know where I'm thinking okay a minute that's a pretty long time it only takes five seconds to paddle into a wave um you know you, I, I'm sort of breaking down um things so that I am focusing on something but you can you know if you you can only focus on one thing at a time and so if they're all positive things then you you know you you sort of find yourself in a lot of the time when you're taking your mind off like the stress and you think of something positive, something that feels nice or whatever it is, um, that wave usually pops up, the one that you need. And I think in a weird way that is making your own luck kind of thing. Um, but everybody's different, you know. You, you have to sort of take the time to learn um, for each individual person what it is that makes you tick and what it is that helps you to find, a, you know, your intention in that moment. And that's, um, yeah, that's something that, that Nam and I have worked on a lot. And, yeah, it's been incredible to see, like, the shift in, in uh, a situation that could be dire and then next minute, you know, you're winning. Mm. Um, and it's really, I think, a lot of it is to do with, yeah, just having powerful uh, words or... Um, just Entry little, and yeah. Just I don't know what you call those things, like a 
Affirmation. Affirmations or, you know, just those little chants that you can say to yourself. I just actually read about the first female to climb, free climb El Capitan. And she's only the fourth person in the world to do it and the first female. And she um, – I can't even think of her name. I'm going to have to Google that. But she uh, – yeah, the whole way up she chanted to herself, um, slow is smooth and smooth is calm something like that and she just like you know said it to herself over and over again she did it you know with didn't even take her i don't know took her like a few hours to do which most takes people most like two hours to do it but sorry two days to do it um but yeah she just sort of those things that really bring your focus to where it needs to be so like you said there that yes everyone is different and what works for some but there's there's is the constants so mm-hmm. things that came through was presence, mm-hmm. focus on the controllables, yeah, and um, and then also like anchoring into those because what you're doing there with the presence and focus on the controllables is you're not letting your mind go to all of the things that are uncontrollable or thinking about you can't control your score. Yeah, that's the number. What you can control is how you paddle into the wave, which one you choose, when you choose to do it. Exactly. And if you're not present and you're thinking about the score or the result or the end game and I hope, I hope, I hope, mm-hmm. then you're not going to be in the moment to be able to execute the required task at hand. Exactly. And I think that's really You powerful. summed it up really well. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of go off on like some airy-fairy way about explaining it, but yeah. But exactly that's the beautiful thing about it is because yeah. I heard you say, oh, it's, I guess it's another optimistic thing and it's like, cool, that's you showing your genuine authenticity again because yeah. that's how you are as a human and that's mm. how you approach your sport and that's how you, you know, you win through the love, the, those aspects. Mm-hmm. So, and I think it's really powerful for people listening to realize, oh yeah, that's Steph winning a world title in that way. Mm-hmm. That's the way that I can not let other people's opinions or judgments um, overrule me and not achieve my best mm-hmm. by not getting caught up in the end result or worrying about all of this mm-hmm. stuff, just being present and executing the required task at hand. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's something that a lot of people um can learn from athletes and you know just yeah you don't have to be an athlete to to spend the time yeah learning how to um find like that flow state or you know to to really learn more about your you know thoughts and your awareness when you're in any type of situation because that stuff is so handy across all areas of life and do you find that that the things that you've learned and that you execute mm-hmm. there, oh, they for do sure. come into other Say areas like of public life? speaking and I'm getting up like freaking out going, Oh my god, I'd way rather just be in a heat right now, serving competition or um uh playing music, you know, I play I was the just guitar. Say maybe recording yeah. your music. <laughs> so playing guitar you know, I've been asked a few times from different bands to join them on stage for a song and and sometimes it's in front of a pretty big crowd and, and I love playing the guitar, but I'm also not that great. But this is something that Nam and I have always sort of said, like, say yes to everything. All these situations that when someone first asks you about it and you hesitate, say yes to it and, you know, deal with it when it happens. And, and you'd actually surprise yourself at how you rise to the occasion. And, uh, yeah, so I, I did. I find myself saying yes to more and more bands. Maybe I'm just trying to be a rock star secretly. <laughs> but... I'm more, you know, these are the moments where I'm sitting there going, whoa, I'm really nervous, but this is so cool. How much fun. And if I stuff up, who cares? Like, that's totally fine. I'd I'd way rather know that I got on stage 
and how to go and had a really good time and have a really cool story to tell. Um, yeah, I stuffed up this part and I have in multiple songs. You know, I played the wrong chord here, there and whatever, but uh, it was just more about the fact that I, I gave it a crack and, and um, it was a fun experience. Brilliant. I yeah. love that. I'm all about impact and this, this podcast is all about impact and I love the saying from Gandhi that is um, be the change you want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. What's the change that you want to see in the world that you are being? Mm. Um, I don't know. I guess just being more kind. You know, people think that, you know, everyone's so busy in their day getting on with things and, you know, being full on that, you know, sometimes it can be seems so small and insignificant to even just smile at someone walking past down the street and and uh yeah i don't know it's it's, i've always felt like it's really important to pay attention to those little moments because they it's a ripple effect you know it really does give someone else a little boost for their day and then they can feel the energy then to boost somebody else and and you know that seems pretty small but in saying that, that really is how I think you can change the world is by starting right here in who you are, those little moments throughout the day. And, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, good karma, I guess. Just uh, On that note, tomorrow yeah. is International Kindness Day. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, just being more kind. I don't know. I d- I'm, I'm very smiley as it is, but I love to... I love to kind of share that light with other people. I think it's important that that we can do that and and um you're not take you know you're not sacrificing too much of who you are. Mm. It's just like, hey, you know, we can share this together and um lift each other up in that sense. So brilliant. And you don't really know what everyone else is going through, so mm. yeah, and less what? less judging and and more um uplifting, yeah. I love it. Before we wrap up, is there anything you would like to ask me? Oh, um, yeah, I don't know. Like all the the good basic stuff. <laughs> How many days a week do you train? <laughs> Not telling. How many sit-ups do you do? <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. Do you play any instruments? You want to start a band? <laughs> <laughs> I play the drums. I'm looking for, oh, do you? There you <laughs> no, go. On, I should reframe that. I used to play the drums oh, yeah? many, many years ago. <laughs> but I'm not Amazing. looking for a band. <laughs> so what drives you? Like what? what is it about, um, you know, pushing yourself? Obviously, you're very fit and, and healthy and that's something you're very conscious of. Like was there a moment in your life that you just decided this is what I'm going to do or is this sort of – yeah, and I, I guess from a physical perspective, mm-hmm. I've, I was always really good at sport. I didn't know much else and mm-hmm. I went to the Australian Institute of Sport as an athlete and yep. played a lot of rep footy and those kind of things. It was in my blood. I loved it. So it was a really easy thing to do. The mm-hmm. physical component, like I guess you, like yourself, it's the easy thing for me to do to show up, yep. to train hard, to train smart because it makes me feel good and it's a part of what I love and mm-hmm. who I am and what I'll always do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the the other element on that of the the mindset aspect and doing the emotional intelligence work with people is understanding more around human behavior like yourself I went yep. through an experience that really um, shook me up and made me look at things differently and did the mm-hmm. work to go through it and then started to understand that because I was a high performance coach and only working with athletes and you know addicted to human performance because that's what us athletes do and coaches are addicted to the performance aspect yeah but then after going through that 
seeing things differently and started to understand and become addicted to human behavior mm-hmm. by seeing how people like the experience you shared can go through situations and become better versions of themselves better role models and enjoy life more mm-hmm. even after major adversities and challenges in that way so i started to become addicted mm-hmm. to human behavior instead of human performance so the internal driver is through experience of both of knowing what it is like to live optimally by making the same the the in alignment choices and decisions on a daily basis to feel optimal to f- just thrive mm-hmm. and to come from that place of love regardless yep. of the challenges that are around yeah mm-hmm. yeah no I, lo- I mean that's key I, i've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately and a lot, you know i think at the end of it a lot of it is like if we all come from that place of love then the outcome of so many things would be you know much more positive and and uh seems like the simple answer to <laughs> change the world but um and were you like did you have dreams in sports that didn't sort of yeah come absolutely. to light and and yeah so essentially do they you look at it, still I've play on your mind or you um how no. did you accept them and, yeah. and move on Except, yep, exactly right. So you could look at it as a failure because I didn't make a Commonwealth Games team. Mm-hmm. I didn't represent Australia as a sprinter, but yep. that was my goal. Mm-hmm. But also I look at it as the learning experience that took me to the next step, which took me to a professional therapist that travelled the world, that took me to a professional coach to travelling the world, working with world's best athletes, to where I am now with my gorgeous wife and beautiful family. And so there's no regrets on that. And mm-hmm. I could entertain the thought and take my spiral down that way or I could just accept and be genuine mm-hmm. like genuinely happy with where i'm at and that's that's where i am cool mm. but thank you for asking that. no worries yeah <laughs> no i find that interesting because it's it's so um yeah i always wonder like because for me it was sort of like a lot of my success sort of came so easily but it, it doesn't for people mm. and and i have to um yeah, realize that even though my story is different, it can still help a lot of people in their, their you know, whatever path they're on. Mm. Um, but yeah, just being open to to change—that's that's always important. So, yeah. I'm very mindful. We've gone over the time. Nam will be down there yeah, waiting no to worries. pick balls at you. So I want to finish <laughs> by saying, Steph, you're a legend. You are a prime example that we can live a life of abundance through genuine showing up with genuine authenticity so keep shining your impactful and authentic light to the world my girl my pleasure yeah thanks for having me thank you there you go what a beautiful example of the power and importance of all of us doing the work to show up as our true authentic self Steph can be found anywhere and everywhere online by Googling or typing her name into social media. So jump on and give this Aussie legend a follow to support her journey and her ripple effect. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, please reach out, let me know on email or social media and even tag Steph and I of when and where you're listening to this episode. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.